thank you. Thank you, worship team. There's nothing like singing God's praises, worshiping him to put us in a heart attitude uh, to continue our worship this morning as we open up God's word. I just want to say thank you to Eric for the reminder of those verses. Uh, The last, well, quite a while, it's been, I've been finding myself getting a little anxious. I'm sure some of you also have been finding yourself anxious. It's good to be reminded about God's word. It's a constant thing, isn't it? Yeah, constantly have to be exposed to his word. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Eric, for sharing that. Okay, Uh, our text this morning is Matthew 16, uh, 19 through 21. So if you would turn there, Matthew 16, 19 through 21. The title of the message this morning is Eternal Treasure, Eternal Treasure. Matthew 6, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount um, is the uh, greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever lived. This sermon is so rich and full, it encompasses Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. All of that is part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is absolutely beautiful. It taught in a gorgeous part of the world, right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, My wife and I got to visit Israel in 2008, and we went to the most likely place that the Sermon on the Mount was delivered, and the backdrop of the Sea of Galilee was there, and a natural amphitheater would have afforded Jesus the ability to be able to speak to the multitudes. Beautiful place. And Jesus, you know, in his sermon, his greatest sermon, he addresses four main factions of people in Israel. Four main factions. He addresses the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Four main factions. The Sermon on the Mount was meant to drive its hearers to the need of a Savior. And you can find that in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 27. That need for a Savior. All the rules that the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, all the rules and things that they were imposing upon the people, legalistically, uh, Jesus confronts in this sermon. He says it over six times. He says, you have heard it said this, but I say this. And he says it multiple times Don't be like those people. Be like this. So Jesus is confronting the lies and the deception of the factions that lived during those days, the legalistic living. Let's go ahead and read verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth or moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, we come into your word this morning. I thank you, Father, for the time to worship you. Rearrange our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. Father, I pray that we would do that this morning. If we have any worries or cares, anxiety, Lord, if we have any thoughts that distract us, Lord, from hearing your word and receiving it to our heart, I pray that you would now, Lord, 
and he would, we come to you, Father, and we confess that to you. And we say, we know it's not right. We shouldn't hold on to those things. We shouldn't worry. We should trust you. Lord, I pray that we would come now with clean hearts before your throne. Lord, as beggars, we need to hear from you, Lord. We need your spiritual food that only you can provide in your word. Lord, we ask this morning that I would, I would be able to get out of your way, Lord. Speak through me. Speak to the hearts of your people that they would be blessed, Lord, by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so... Uh, in this marvelous chapter, we are seeing uh, treasure mentioned here. And the word treasure, it's a really interesting word. It, in the Greek, the word treasure here is thesaurus. And so if you look at verse 19, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The actual laying up, when it says laying up, it's just a different version of the word thesaurus. It's a different tense of it. So what you have actually here in this verse uh, 19 is not to treasure treasures. We are not to treasure up treasures. We're not to... (laughs) A little lisp this morning. We are not to thesaurus thesaurus. We are to uh, not hoard. So there's two different kinds of treasures here in these verses. There's a temporal treasure a temporal treasure, it's just, it's temporary. It's, it's worthless, right? And then there's the eternal treasure. We're going to look at both of those and we're going to look at the difference of the two and then we're going to look at how exactly are we supposed to, how do we lay up treasures in heaven? How are we supposed to do this? You know, sometimes we could read the word of God and we can look at that and say, oh, that's great, yeah, I've got to lay up treasures. And then we just move on from that, Right? And there's, there's, we have to really ponder this. We have to really dig in deep into the word. And I don't claim that I have every single verse or every single idea on this. This is perhaps just, just a little bit here. Okay, so we're not to treasure up treasures. It carries the idea of hoarding or stacking or piling up. This, uh, I have a story I wanted to share. And it's a story of a miser. And this miser... Uh, took everything he had, um, all the, the worldly goods that he had, and everything he had, he, he bought gold instead with this. He carefully buried the gold in a hole near his house. He used to look at the gold daily and admire it. One of his workmen noticed him doing this one day, and he dug the spot where the gold lay hidden, and he stole it. The next day, when the miser found the hole empty, He could not believe that somebody had stolen all his gold. He cried loudly and began to tear his hair in despair. On hearing the cause of the grief, his neighbor gave him a stone and advised him, don't feel sad. Place this stone in the hole and imagine that it is gold. It will make no difference since you did not make any use of the gold as long as you had it. That is the... uh, illustration of the of the temporary nature of worldly goods and worldly treasure isn't it it is temporal it is um, here such a short time we can't take it with us we hear that a lot used when we die we can't take any of these things on earth with us so let's talk about this treasure 
Um, let's talk about the treasure that Jesus has in mind here. First of all, this is not saying it, you can't save for the future, that you can't be a good steward with what God has given you, and that you can't prepare, you know, retirement savings and things like that are all stewardship issues, right? So it's really going to the heart of an individual. Where is your trust? Where is your hope? It is really hard, and that's why Jesus said it is really hard for a rich man to pass, to get into heaven. It's like passing through the eye of a needle. That's another story I can tell you about that sometime, the eye of a needle. But it's, it's because our heart becomes divided when we have excess wealth and we become divided. We don't trust in God as much, right? I mean, we don't do that when, when times are good in our lives, when we have plenty, when we have need. It's only the times when we're desperate, when we are uh, need in some way, maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our emotional health, spiritual. Our family is dif- having difficulties. Friends, it's times like that that we reach in and trust in God, doesn't it? It's not the times that we everything's good and we can serve God with a happy heart. We do trust God in those times, but it's not the same. So Jesus is not talking about having a good stewardship of your possessions. He is talking about treasuring up treasures, hoarding things to where our heart is divided now, to where maybe we even have an idol. And we've made an idol out of our possessions. We've made an idol out of these things. So we're going to look at the futility of this thinking here, the futility of it. We need to be reminded of this constantly, always. Okay, I, I delivered this message 12 years ago. And the problem with delivering old messages is you go back to the ones that you written, wrote a long time ago and uh, you realize how far off the mark you still are. And so <laughs> this has been a tough, tough sermon to deal with because I've been doing a lot of soul searching and thinking, oh boy, yeah, uh, uh, the good stuff here. Okay, so let's look at the three things, three characteristics of material uh, treasure that is mentioned here uh, in our verses. The first um, characteristic is that it is subject to ruin. It is subject to ruin. Material treasure is subject to ruin. It says right here, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It is subject to ruin. See, a moth, um, you know, people stored clothing, fine clothing back in the day. And that was a way to have wealth is he had lots of clothing uh, but as you even know who've had any kind of a wool wool garments and you've left it somewhere and what happens to your wool moth comes along and it, it happened to Megan and I we had this Pendleton blanket that was given to us for a, a wedding gift and we kept it nicely folded perfectly in a box and we would open it and just Say, oh, such a beautiful blanket. And we closed it again. We never used it. We just stored it. Well, one day, I don't know what happened, but Megan and I decided, you know what? This is ridiculous. This blanket's in a box. We need to pull it out, use it. We pulled it out, and guess what? Holes in our beautiful blanket that we got for a wedding gift. It was so sad. <laughs> but it's a perfect illustration that moth can, can destroy uh, uh, these things. They're temporal. They're, ever, they're not lasting. Um, look at old garments. We have an antique store. If you look at old garments that, that come into our store from time to time, they're fragile. 
They're very fragile. They can break very easily because time and the ravages of time have taken its toll on the cloth. It is subject to ruin. Storing clothing was a way of preserving wealth back 2,000 years ago. You know, today it's not too much different. We, we, we have Coach, Lucky, Armani, uh, Liz Claiborne, Gucci. Okay, these are names from 12 years ago, but <laughs> you still recognize them. And there might be new names to add, add to this list, of course. But, you know, we have a, a foolish preoccupation of having the best kind of items, don't we? Yeah, it's not bad to own one of those things, so don't say I'm calling you uh, a sinner or anything like that. No, it's just that where's our heart, right? Where's our heart? Okay, so the next thing they are is they're subject to destruction. They're subject to destruction. We see the word rust here. Now, the word rust is, is translated this way from the Greek to English, but actually it, what it means is literally to eat away. To eat away. It's not this sense of metal that's corroding, but of actually of grain, of food being eaten away by vermin, worms, insects. Um, material wealth, you know, 2,000 years ago was often stored as grain. You know, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, uh, those were the things that you could sell and that you could provide other things you don't, didn't have. And so we see um, these treasures are, are, when they're hoarded up and when they're, when they're treasured, they are subject. Jesus is saying they're subject to destruction. They're just subject to ruin. Turn, if you will, to Luke 16. We're going to look at verses 16 through 21. It's kind of right where Eric was this morning. He called me this morning and asked if it was okay to teach. He didn't want to conflict with my teaching. And he took up on verse 22. We're going to end on verse 21. How's that for unintended coordination, right? Okay, Luke 12, 16 through 21. Okay, if you're there, is there one there? I don't see eyes yet, so. Okay, now I got eyes. I see eyes. You guys were reading. Okay, that's good. Good job. Okay, verse 16, the law and the prophets. Am I in the right spot there? Luke 12. <laughs> Sorry. Luke 12. There it is, 16. Okay, there we go. It says here, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, I love that dialogue that Jesus does there. I will say to myself, self, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not rich toward God. Powerful, powerful message here. We see this man, he's, he, it's, he, building these barns, break down the new ones, you know, as a farmer, um, 
we, we, we do that too. You know, we try to be good stewards. So we have hay barns that we build. We have silos to store grain. And we, we try to be good stewards with the resources, with the plenty, with the overflow with those things. So he's, again, I just want to emphasize, he's not talking about someone that is just being a good steward, right? We're talking about someone who says to his soul, soul, and we read, huh, let's just relax, take it easy. No problem, we got this. I've got all the money in the world now. I could just take my leisure, take my ease. Do you see, do you see the hard issue there that Jesus is talking about? Talking about pride, selfishness, not looking to your neighbor. And so Jesus is talking about the people that think that this material wealth that's subject to ruin and destruction can provide somehow uh, a substitution that only God can provide. A substitution of, of real peace, of real joy, of real happiness. These things cannot be purchased, cannot be trust on by money. Oh, they can distract you. And look how many people are distracted nowadays. You don't even have to be a wealthy person to be distracted by the world when you're not even thinking about the things that are really important, the people that are truly hurting. So they're subject to destruction, literally. Our life is short. It can end. They are also, um, back in Matthew, they are also subject to thievery. They are subject to thievery. It says that um, where thief will break in and steal. The idea here of, of breaking in is the idea of digging through, to dig. The thief will break in and steal. It's to dig. It's to get under something, to get under your defenses, to get under your protections. You've built an elaborate security system to protect your hoard of wealth and guess what? There's always a clever thief out there, we see that, who's going to figure a way to get past all their security measures and steal. It's subject to steal. It's subject to theft, to steal, being stolen. Material treasures used for our own selfish purposes and indulgence is empty. And Solomon, look at Solomon. Um, King Solomon, you know, he was the richest man in the world. He had all the known pleasures of the world. And you look, if you ever read Ecclesiastes, maybe not lately, it's a fantastic book. I highly recommend anyone to read that. He's talking about all the things he's accomplished and all the things he's possessed, horses and buildings and parks and orchards and vineyards. And he's done these great things, a magnificent palace for himself that was way finer and nicer than, than, than the Lord's temple. He, he lived for worldly pleasure. He got drunk. He had many wives, many concubines. He searched and searched and searched for pleasure. And guess what he said? He's, it's a warning. It's a warning to us. He says, it's not worth it. It doesn't bring the happiness that I thought it would. And at the end of his life, God grants him repentance. It gives him mercy to see his own state, his own personal estate. And he writes Ecclesiastes as a warning. Don't make the same mistakes that I made. 
It's empty. It's purposeless. He's telling us, I've had everything. And let me tell you, nothing can help, truly help us. Our lives are quick. They're short. We're here just for a moment, and then we're gone. Solomon says that we don't know the day or the hour of our passing when we will, our life will be called by the Lord to be with him. We have no idea, just like that farmer who said, I'll store it all up and I'll retire. Jesus says, fool, your soul is going to be required of you tonight. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be the, the, those people living for the here and now. We want to be people who are investing in eternity. I, this week, reading uh, uh, just something on Facebook, I showed my wife, it, it hit me hard. Um, my apologies to those of you who are older than me. Um, I saw this, it said, from 1970 to two, 2022 is the same as 1918 is to 1970. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Am I, am I that old? I know I'm not that old. I'm sorry. That's why I said, please forgive me. I apologize. I apologize. I think it's relative to a certain extent, right? But our life is so short. It just made me think. 1918 to 1970 is the same as 1970 to 2022. I think it's 51 or 52 years. Just crazy. Our lives are short. We are to lay up treasures in heaven. God has given us a wonderful opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven. Let's turn uh, uh, to uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And let's read our next verse. What is this treasure that we should be storing, that we should be doing? Let's look at this first. As for the rich, Paul is talking to Timothy, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Okay, that's just what we've been reading so far. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share. Thus, verse 19, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay, so here, Paul's telling Timothy, this is it. This is what it looks like to store up treasures in heaven. Let's look at this first verse here. When, when you hear the word rich, what do you guys think when you hear the word rich? Go ahead, speak up. How much money would you think it would take to be considered rich? Physical possessions, okay. Um, is there a dollar figure? Yes, Teresa. Huh? Having what? Good, okay, good health, yes. Yeah, sometimes when you think of rich, you think of, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos or, or Elon Musk, he's in the news all the time, rich guys, or maybe not, maybe you think of just regular people who have more than you. But 
let me give you a biblical definition of what Paul is talking about to Timothy, okay? So this is the biblical definition of rich, all right? Remember, we're talking 2,000 years ago, right? So it was a different world then. So back in, in historic terms, in the context that Paul is talking to Timothy, to be rich was to meet your basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter, and you had a little over a little surplus. That was to be rich. I know it kind of boggles our mind, right? Because we're, we're, we, we've grown up in this incredible privilege that we have that God has given us in this wonderful country. And so we have so much wealth in this country. To be rich, that Paul's definition of rich is just to have a little bit left over from your basic needs, a little bit of sur- surplus. So these verses are really dealing with the issue of not your quantity of your wealth. They're dealing with these issues of stewardship. What do we do with the wealth, the little bit extra that God has given us? Not just in material possessions, but in our time, our talents, our skills. These are all things that we have to offer to store up that treasure in heaven. It says right there, our good works, generous in good works. And so what we do, what we spend our time on, how we give our time, these are things that are are very precious, are very valuable. You may not have a whole lot of money left over after you've met your monthly needs, but you uh, you might have other things to offer. We could still give. We could still lay up treasure in heaven. Even if it's not right from our pocketbook, we still have the ability to give and bless others. Sometimes we think, sometimes we think that, you know what, our material wealth is, is all God's. Um, but most of us, we struggle too when you think, oh, that's just a 10%, right? Uh, just tithe, just a 10%. No, it's all God's. Everything we have is the Lord's. And we should be asking, Lord, what would you have me to do? Good works are so important. We can bless people. Um, We don't want to be like the pastors that we see on TV and hear in the news who encouraged his flock to sell their uh, pay, you know, get cash in their retirement so that they could pay for the building for an incoming uh, rapture that was happening and they sell everything and to pay off a building. No. That is, if God is calling you to do that, by all means, but that's not exactly, and that's not a godly example. Megan and I, uh, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, we sold our house in Wenatchee. We sold half of our possessions because we were going to go into the mission field. And we couldn't take it all with us. And it was hard. It was hard letting it go. It was hard um, selling things really cheap at garage sales. Things that you thought were worth a whole lot more money than what they're offering me, right? And it was a battle. But we we did it. We sold off. And we still had a huge U-Haul. We moved from this beautiful home in Wenatchee right next to a park and an elementary school. Our kids were all of that perfect age. It's a beautiful place. But God called us to a new land. God called us 
to be missionaries, vocational missionaries in San Diego, California. That's a place I thought I would never, ever live. I said, God, I am never moving to California. No way. I don't want to be part of all that drama. But he did. We sold our possessions. We moved there. And God doesn't always call us to do that. But are you willing? Are you willing to? What if God called you to the mission field right now? Are you willing to do that? There's a second kind of treasure. So we have the material treasure that we have, our money, our possessions, our talents, our skills, and our time, right? But there's also a spiritual treasure. The spiritual treasure is how we exercise our spiritual gifts, how we, how we bless the body of Christ. We're all different parts, different members. We have different skills and talents, and we should be blessing uh, the body of Christ with those there's a spiritual gift in us that we have that we can offer. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians now, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. We're going to look at another element here and develop this a little bit here. Another element of, of how do we store up treasure in heaven? How do we do this? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. Um, it's just an incredible verse, verses. Absolutely incredible. It says here, For God, who said, Light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, Jesus Christ, right? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And so we have these uh, clay vessels that there's talking in here, incredible, marvelous truth that the Holy Spirit indwells, that we are jars of clay, we are vessels for God to be used for his glory, right? We are a vessel to be used for God's glory. Now, it's described as jars of clay because if you think, you know, of course, they didn't have Tupperware or, uh, you know, five-gallon buckets or 50-gallon buckets of drums of, of things. They had, they had clay vessels, clay jars. And these clay jars were uh, absolutely necessary for life. You couldn't store oil. You couldn't store anything unless you had clay vessels and clay jars. Earthen vessels are fragile and often they would develop cracks. But they were very useful. They were necessary. The vessel itself wasn't anything special. It's what was put inside that determined the value. So the vessel wasn't very, so if you look at herself, we look at you and me, and we look at ourselves honestly, let me tell you, we're not very special, are we? God loves us, right? Don't, don't get me wrong, but we're not very special. It's God that's special. It's God that gets the glory, not the vessel. So it, you know, we don't want to compare ourselves to our brothers and sisters is what I'm trying to say. We need to just look at our relationship with the Lord. The vessel is not what's important. What's important is what goes into the vessel. What goes into the vessel. That's the important thing. So let's see. I have a sheet here I need to look at. Yeah. So we are to be um, a vessel for the Lord. But there are three things that we need to look at for being a vessel. And it's very important to look at. The first important thing about being a vessel, this is for storing up treasure in heaven, and, and, and how can we do this? Well, 
we have to, we're a vessel, but there's a thing uh, we have to realize about being a vessel. And so turn now to 2 Timothy 20 and 21. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Okay, so we're all vessels. We've all seen that in God's word. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold, silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use and some are for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor. Honorable use, set apart as wholly useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Okay, so we are a vessel, but some vessels are for honorable, some for dishonorable. The word here, dishonorable, is, keep in mind, we're dealing with 2,000 years ago, they didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have a means to, uh, you know, take care of easily, nicely, Chamber pot has been called recently about a, uh, it's not that far removed, you know. I mean, some places of the world, they don't have running water. They don't have electricity. And so they're still doing similar things, disposing of waste, human waste. And so that was what a dishonorable pot was, was something that held human waste. And then you had to dispose of it and regularly empty it. That was just part of your life. You didn't know anything different. They didn't know what they were missing having a flushing toilet, right? It's just part of life. Honorable and dishonorable. Honorable things are the the vessels that are holding the, the grain, the spice, and some were used for gold. Those were the honorable things. It doesn't matter what was in it. It was honorable because you needed it. Those are things that... Served a purpose to protect what was inside. And then you have dishonorable. And Jesus says here, uh, Paul says to Timothy, uh, there's honorable and dishonorable. There you can see um, uh, these vessels. Um, so it's important. It says here, though, it's beautiful. It says, you, we can be clean right here. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor. So one of the elements of being a vessel is to be clean. That involves confession and repentance. Confession and repentance should be daily, every single day. If you don't think you have anything to confess and repent of on a daily basis, then I tell you that's a sin of pride. Daily, at least, maybe several, several times daily to be clean, to confess, to repent. We can be made clean. And once we're clean, then we can be a vessel of honor. We can be used by God for his glory. So we're to be clean, to be a vessel, we're to be available. We're to be available. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse one says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We are to be available. We first repent, confess, and then we say, okay, Lord, I'm available now. I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice for you to fill me, to fill me. We also see it in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter six, verses six and eight. Isaiah just got finished confessing to the Lord that he was a sinner, that he was 
had unclean lips. He lived among a people of unclean lips. He confessed. He knows his sin, right? Then we'll pick up here, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your sin is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. First, we're cleansed. Second, we need to make ourselves available. Second, we need to make ourselves available. Lord, here I am. Send me. What would you have me do? This is how we store up treasure in heaven. And third, third, we need to be filled. We need to be filled with something. To be a vessel, to have a purpose is to be filled. Now, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, We have Jesus in our life, in our heart, but we are to be filled. And let's look at that. Ephesians 3, 14 through 17 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, rooted and grounded in love. To be vessels of honor is to store up treasure in heaven. To be a vessel of honor, we must first be made clean. Second, we need to be available. And third, we are to be filled by the power of his spirit, by God giving us the ability to work and to do the things that he has called us to do, whatever that might be. Our mission field doesn't have to be San Diego or across the world in other countries. It could be right here in Chihuahua. It should be. Colville. It's our mission field right here. Clean, available, and filled. We can store up treasures in heaven. Serve the church where God leads in our jobs, in our families, to our neighbors, wherever. We can serve the Lord. it's, It's so cool. It's so simple and yet so hard for us to do. Paul says it here in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul is saying, yes, guess what? You can even store up treasure for yourself by giving honor to God when you're eating or drinking. Paul wants us to understand that in the most mundane, everyday things that we do, we are still to give glory to him in everything we do. Guess what? We even give glory to God if we eat and drink to his glory to his honor, with a heart that says, Lord, thank you. A heart that sincerely says, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Give glory to everything we do in every act, in every word. Give glory to God. That's hard. That's hard to do because it calls for us to continually confess, repent, and lay ourselves open for God. I need you in my life. I can't do it on our own. If you try to Think we can do this on your own. You're just going to fall. I'm going to fall. We will fall. And we do fall flat on our face. It it can't happen otherwise. We need the Lord to fill us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to be able to do these wonderful things, to lay up treasure for us in heaven. Earthly treasures that are stored up for ourselves and our own pleasure and purposes become an idol. 
our faith will shrivel and our love for the Lord will fade. Now you might ask yourself, well, Tom, why, why is this important? Why is this important? I, I am saved and I'm going to heaven. Yeah, we struggle with that too sometimes, don't we? We think about that. Obviously, we do everything we do out of a love relationship with Jesus, but Paul over and over and over gives us incredible analogies in the sports world to run our race, to box in the fight, to continue on, to win what? The prize, right? To win the prize. You see, uh, it's important to remember that there's going to be a reward for us. There's going to be a reward. It's called the Bema Seat. Are you familiar? Have you ever heard of the Bema Seat? The Bema Seat is a general word, but in the Greek word, and I think what this Paul is referring here to is that seat of judgment that they had at the Olympics. And the runners would come on and they would have a judge up on the seat and the judge would proclaim from the Bema Seat the victory, the, one, the winner of the race. And so Bema Seat, that Jesus says, you will all have to face this judgment. Every single one of us will stand before the Lord and give an account for what we have done. Hebrews, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 23. Hebrews 23, we're going to look at, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> There's not 23 verses or chapters in Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Okay. And I lost my page. There it is right there. Hebrews chapter 11. And then we're looking at verses 23 and 26. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a child of, and was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking, catch this here, Moses was looking to the reward. Now, whenever you see reward in the Bible, I want you to remember this. If you could write it in your thing, whatever you need to do, a reward is conditional, right? Salvation is not conditional. Ever, 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 you cannot, we cannot earn our salvation. Salvation is a gift. So anytime you see the word reward in the New Testament, I want you to remember that. It's not referring to salvation. Salvation is something we cannot earn and we cannot keep. It's a gift of God. Reward is something that we do earn. Reward is something that we do receive. So Moses was looking toward a reward. Moses was looking toward a reward. We should be looking toward the same reward. This is the reward that we have for laying up our treasures in heaven. This is why it's important. It's treasure it's given to us in a para, parabolically to talk about where our treasure should be, not here on earth, but laid up for us in another time. I believe that this reward and treasure will be meted out to us during the thousand-year millennial reign. It's important. 
And we should be concerned about it. If you want for your own Bible study, write down 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Colossians 3.24. Extra verses, more verses on the Bema Seed. I'd love to, that's a whole other sermon right there, the Bema Seed. It's just a wonderful picture and rarely, I don't think, I don't think I've ever heard it besides I did it one time 12 years ago. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on the Bema Seed before, but it's important. Matthew 6.21 says this to close. Matthew 6.21 says this. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Where is your treasure this morning? Where's my treasure? Where is our treasure? Because Jesus says, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the washing, the correcting, the training, and righteousness. Lord, it brings to us. Lord, you are the potter. We are the clay. Mold us and make us, Lord, how you would have. God, I pray that we would be vessels of honor, desiring for you to fill us, Lord, to do good works. Lord, to give of our lives, our possessions, everything we are is yours, Lord. We owe you everything. Oh, Lord, you're so good to us and love us so much. Lord, help us to store our treasures, to lay them up in your hands for your glory. For this world is dark, this world is falling apart. But you, Lord, will stand forever. You, Lord, in your word will last forever. You are strong. And we trust in you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.